Hey, Peter. Hey. Happy Monday. Hey, man. Happy Monday. Hump day. Hump. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> so you trying to trick me. Is it, though? No, man. It's Wednesday. Oh, okay, that's right. I'm Adam S. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Daily jazz advice coming at you. Coming at you. Today's episode is sponsored by the Oxford American. The Oxford American is a magazine dedicated to documenting the complexity and vitality of the American South. Its award-winning annual music issue comes with a CD sampler and digital download. It's a must-have for any serious music fan. Recent issues have featured Nina Simone, Thelonious Monk, John Cage, and John Coltrane. Visit OxfordAmerican.org slash YHI. That stands for You'll Hear It. Yes. And uh, we have some good offers there for some folks. Some awesome offers. I mean, I'm just looking at this. This is their 20th uh, annual music. I mean, all their issues are great. It's quarterly. But I always love the, the music issue. I didn't realize they We're going to get into of that now. Uh, yeah. later in the week for sure. This is so good. At home, we have this next to books. Like, this isn't the kind of magazine you read and then it's like old news and you toss it into the recycling. And not that I'm anti-recycling. I'm very pro-recycling. But yeah. you don't... Like this, you can kind of savor it like a book, which is nice. It's great. Yep. It's really, really good. Uh, today we're talking about our seven favorite jazz compositions. Yeah. Now, I feel like, okay, full disclosure, you came up with this concept. This, I mean, we both come up with ideas, but but a lot of times... Sorry, are you throwing shade on my concept? I'm not throwing shade. No, it's a great thing. I mean, we accepted it into the pantheon of episodes, but I felt like it was a little bit limiting. So we may extend it a little bit, right? You, you feel like the, the art of jazz composition is limiting? Well, you're going to see as we go through here, there's some obvious omissions. I just want to, that's why I said full dis- disclosure, I want to put it out there that before we get, you know, shade thrown on us from our beautiful listeners, when they put up their umbrellas with shade on top of us, because we're like, why didn't you mention such and such? Oh, well, whatever we do is going to get some <laughs> kind of shade for what, whatever list of seven No, but we if we did on. 77, we could pretty much cover all the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm already thinking of some big holes in, in even in eras. But this, that's what we didn't say the seven greatest jazz compositions. Well, way to start out the episode with a little bit of a downer, man. <laughs> it's Monday. <laughs> Monday. All right, well, let's get into it. Our number okay. one, this comes from the king of jazz comp- composition, you know, the originator of a lot of the techniques that jazz composers still use. That's the great Jelly Roll Mo- Duke oh, Ellington. Oh, Duke Ellington, man. right. <laughs> I thought you said the originator, the greatest, the original. So I had, I had another Duke <laughs> composition on here, but I switched it to this one because yeah. I think this one is deeper. And this is also in an era where I think he really started to develop. Uh, I mean, he came out of the gate, you know, amazing. But but this is when it, it got next level. This is East St. Louis Toodaloo. Mm. From a very, very long time ago, very early in in the recording, you know, uh, technology. Yeah. And uh, people still play this tune. Yeah. I mean, Steely Dan recorded it in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's a great composition. And you, even with the limited technology of the recording, you can hear, like, the dynamics. I mean, of course, the orchestra was great. He always had great players. And he wrote, you know, he wrote for them great. But this is one of those compositions that, you know... To me, a, a, a great jazz composition. It's a vehicle for improvisation, of course, and and re, you know, right into the right into that, you've got the space for that on the trumpet, great trumpet solo. But 
it's also like memorable melodically first and foremost yep. certainly rhythmically harmonically but it's just like any other kind of great song it's a great composition it's not just a vehicle although there are some great compositions there's a couple that didn't make our list but could have easily that actually have no melody and then the melody that you know that the improviser puts on it but they're so strong structurally harmonically that they're a vehicle for great melodies but really when we talk about art i think what when we were talking about different compositions and we had to whittle it down obviously oh yeah even within duke ellington world the thing that strikes me about this and as i look down our list as we go through these i think a common theme that's going to come up is the melody is swinging yeah Yeah. even when the tune isn't you know a straight swing rhythm the melodies here and all these great jazz compositions are swinging well in east and east st louis toodaloo uh there's a bunch of phrases starting with that main first melody melody that have become such a big part of the jazz vernacular the language i mean think about their music vernacular the second (laughs) theme like that is like something you or i would play today yeah yeah Yeah. it's literally oh thank you uh (laughs) no it's literally like the vocabulary of our music which is wonderful totally and it's great what do you got for number two uh number two um now this is lush life by billy strayhorn Hmm. and this is really i think this is probably my favorite song favorite jazz composition I, i don't know if that's any different in my mind it's it's not really it's obviously it's a great jazz piece but it's also a standard i would say i would say it's a standard in the great american songbook whatever the hell that is it's a little bit of both there <laughs> i mean is. we were kind of talking about what constitutes you know the difference between a jazz composition and an american songbook yeah i think this walks the line because billy strayhorn was a jazz com- composer yes but this has obviously the lyrics and the lyrical nature of an American song. Yeah, and I believe he wrote the lyrics and, and the music and everything himself. When he was, what, 16, 16? or something? Yeah. Oh, goodness. But I mean, yeah, I mean, he certainly... So Billy Strayhorn was an amazing jazz composer, obviously, but he was also an incredible songwriter. And so you at, on different compositions of his, you have the intersection in different ways. But to me, Lush Life is just... is is like... It's really just my favorite song ever written. I mean, mm. I love the melody. I love the words. I love, you know, various versions of it. I love playing it. Mm. Um, I think it's the kind of tune. I mean, you talk about not chasing around after a tune and just letting it come to you as a, you just play this bad boy and good things are going to happen. You know, I've never put it into my regular repertoire and I, I really should just to, to get in there and experience it yeah. regularly because it's so beautiful. Let's check out John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman's version. One of my favorite versions. I used to visit all the very gay places Those come what may places Where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life Man, poetry To get the feel of life From jazz and cocktails The girls I knew had sad and sullen gray faces With distant K traces that used to be there, you could see where they'd been washed away by too many through the day. Man, how does a 16-year-old come up with that kind <laughs> yeah, I of know, I know. raw, you know, that emotional depth honesty, the yeah, emotional depth. Yeah. Depth of storytelling, too. Big shout-out to McCoy Tyner. That's some of my favorite <sighs> piano accompaniment of vocal. It's, it's so different than... Then uh, I mean it's it's so McCoy, but it's so different than what he normally plays and fits so well, but still right. has all the stylistic implications of of, of, of his McCoy, yeah, of McCoy. And it's a great this recording too is such a great combination of song, voice, band. I yeah. mean everything just 
just ticks the boxes. I mean, the whole album's great, but I think this is the standout. When Elvin Jones comes in with the brush, I mean, that's like the the brush. I mean, he it's such a big part of the storytelling of this version. I can just, even though we didn't get that far, I encourage yeah. everybody to, I'm sure many of you have heard this, but you might want to go back and reinvest some time because it's... Well, check check the description. We'll leave a link to this uh, Spotify playlist that yep. we have here of, of this list so you can hear for yourself. Yep. Uh, next, number three, we have, uh, I mean, we had to have something by Monk. Yeah. And this is a, a tune that... Uh, I'm playing a lot recently. This is Ruby, my dear. Yeah. Again, John Coltrane and Mark yeah. version. so great about this composition is how specific obviously monk is with it like that melody it's the same shape yeah but he obviously is very strict with the rhythm um you know depending on the time that it happens because different recordings it happens similarly every time yeah you know what i mean where it's placed yeah uh and you wouldn't think that you think oh maybe it's just how train is phrasing it but i don't think so no, and and I think that you know Monk is especially with his ballads is similar to Billy Strayhorn in that his compositions they really border on what what you would think of as standards songs. Although Monk was not, I mean, there's been some great lyrics written um, later of of his tunes. I don't believe he was big on writing lyrics, so that part wasn't there until there's been some wonderful lyrics put to this yeah. and some other ones, but. They're really like often written in this sort of standard AABA, you know, Great American Songbook form or whatever. But I think that, you know, melodically and, and harmonically and in terms of the form, they're just so beautiful and so well structured um, just from that. And then they've got a lot of the more complex kind of jazz interpinnings, but they don't get in the way like a lot of jazz composers kind of. They lose that beautiful simplicity. I mean, Monk had that ability like Billy Strayhorn to write incredible uh, melodies you know, in a way that that a lot of times, you know, we don't always associate with jazz composers. Yeah, really, really amazing. I love all the little hits in this arrangement that, I mean, that's part of the composition. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, because as you said, it's not like it's just like hits no. for hits sake. No, it's no. just part of the comp- structural. composition. Structural. All right, number four. What number you got? four, we have A Night in Tunisia by Dizzy Gillespie. Oh, yeah. And this is, uh, I've always loved playing this tune. I love hearing it. It always sort of takes me to that period of jazz. I mean, I guess it's bebop, but it's also, you know, kind of the, the not necessarily the beginnings, because we had a lot of this with Duke Ellington and, and a lot of the New Orleans musicians. And it's always been a part of the jazz music is the intersection of different cultures and different styles of music from the Caribbean, from Africa, from Europe and obviously New Orleans, but it's like a night in Tunisia is, you know, one of the early songs that was really um, spread around the world and played a lot by a lot of other musicians beyond Dizzy and, and Charles Mingus and Charlie Park on those early recordings that brings in the Afro-Cuban um, elements and then still within that kind of AABA form with that extended little segue thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just really fun to play. I love hearing it. I remember hearing Dizzy when I was like 14, 15 years old play it live. Yeah, yeah. That was like a transformational thing. And that it's arrangement just, with the big band was so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's great. Let's stuff. check out the uh, one of the first versions. Mm. 
so swinging. That's from the genius of Charlie Parker. Again, all of these are available uh, in the description here. We'll leave a link for the Spotify playlist with all of these tunes. And I always think about it in Indonesia. I mean, I might be projecting a little bit. I don't know how historical. Oh, you are. Okay. Thank you. Um, no, I always think of it as kind of the beginning of, or an example of the beginning of of so-called world music, what we ended up calling world music, right? Where, and fusion music and stuff like that, where you're taking in, like Dizzy was great about taking in, you know, different grooves and being very open to that and putting them, even the way this tune is, you know, you know that that groove, and then and then going into the swing and the juxtaposition of it. Totally, you like that? I was like yeah, swing set. Yeah, yeah. I was all at the playground on that one. It certainly helped it be introduced to jazz audiences yeah. and specific, specifically bebop audiences, I think, that, yeah. that influence for sure. Cool. What do we got for number five, my friend? Number five, we have the great Joe Henderson. Mm. Uh, this is Inner Urge. Man, I love that tune so much. Yeah. That's just one of my favorite all-time tunes to listen to, to play. Uh, I think it's brilliant. Yep. In every way. Amazing. Amazing. And I mean, the way that's recorded is just so... It puts you right in that era, Joe Henderson. I mean, he had a very long career, and but that puts you right in in, in that particular time period. The Impulse Records and great, great sound. Um, number six. Um, so this is uh, Kenny Kirkland's "Before It's Time to Say Goodbye." Mm, let's check it out. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, very beautiful, mournful tune, but I think it, it incredible, just beautiful melody, so simple, and it kind of brings together some interesting elements, almost like a New Orleans dirge yeah. uh, march. Uh, it's in three, and then I love the way it's recorded. It's so open. People always think of Kenny Kirkland as being a very busy player, which he was at times, uh, but much as you know, the great Oscar Peterson and other great jazz uh, pianists, at, at times he was. He was such an incredible uh, master of the instrument that he could just play. Yeah. Like very simple. Like he just, like the phrases we just heard, which left, left room for something that I think jazz is so great at doing with compositions, which is having a great drummer be a part of the composition. Totally. So what you just heard Jeff Watts doing there, big shout out to Jeff Tane Watts. Um, 
you know, with that little brushwork and stuff is like part of the composition. So it's not there every time. And obviously, if, if you don't have Jeff Watts, it's going to be different. But much as when we listen to the John Coltrane, Johnny Hartman, Lush, Lush Life version, we didn't get to when Elvin Jones come in. But I mean, the brush has become such a part of the composition. And I think when we talk about our favorite, seven favorite jazz compositions, it's so much tied to these recordings. And then yeah. what's great is you hear it live, it's a little different. The, yeah. the composition is still there, but it's about the performance of the composition. Uh, this is from Kenny Garrett's song book album yes. we should say that recording is anyway which is not kenny g's songbird that's another great album <laughs> songbook songbird both saxophones i just want to be clear on yeah that. and both named kenny first name kenny yeah i'm surprised by the time this night is over didn't make our list here but it didn't well, yeah, well. uh so for number seven uh this is from 2004 this is abishai cohen the bassist bassist right uh really incredible composer and this is uh remembering um, I forget what album this is from. I have it here from a soundtrack. A lot of his stuff is not on Spotify for some reason, but hmm. uh, this is uh, Remembering. good moments in his compositions you know i just was trying to think i'm like this is such a, a highly subjective list we just want to reiterate that uh these are all great <laughs> compositions but i was looking for something i mean look because we left out a lot of songs that we even we left seven. we left out yeah. john coltrane off the entire list which is obviously <laughs> well, we got him, yeah, yeah and herbie exactly. which are two of our favorite composers yeah. obviously i was just thinking of things i'm in the mood for right now but that's so important that i think what we did capture here we both you know picked about half of these uh, so it's somewhat random, but I think w the thing that pulls these all together is that we love listening to these. We love these songs. We love to play them. We love mm. to listen to them. We love the original, a specific recording, whatever. Yeah. And I just encourage everybody, there's so much great stuff out there. The, we the wealth and depth of this music compositionally is so amazing. And I think one thing that I do, that did kind of strike me, maybe connects all these compositions is the use of space mm. and this is something that we see in all styles of composition and for you composers out there and improvisers don't be afraid to use space we heard that great in that last uh you know in remembering um you know when you i mean lush life has some great spaces harmonically and actually structurally within the melody mm -hmm. where you put that space is always a hallmark i think of great compositions can we do a bonus i'm doing a bonus but i'm calling an audible uh oh yeah boom one of my favorite modern compositions yes was composed by the man sitting across the table no, from me right come now on. i don't think that's I liked I it so know. much that when I first uh, started this podcast, I used it as its theme. We're going to go really? out. This is Peter Martin's Emotion in Motion. You'll hear it. What? 